0: Warriors, and Welcome to another episode of Chevron's, the podcast for the enlisted force. I will be one of your hosts, Chief Master Sergeant Sean Sullivan.
1: And I am A1C Francesca Skridulis.
0: So before we introduce our guest, I just wanted to, uh, uh, Airman Scardulis, uh how's Chevron's doing out in the uh, NGB world?
1: Well, in case you all did not know, we've almost got a year on the books, and just prior to that... We won first place in the podcast category at the National Guard Bureau Media Awards.
0: Outstanding. Yes. Uh, everybody always said I had a face for radio, so I am glad that we, uh, we uh, accomplished that milestone. We couldn't have done it without our key engineer behind the helm. That would be Tim Sandlin who is a big part of this broadcast and I could not have done this without you. Uh, And thank you uh, for, for being here and mentoring me through this and congratulations to the two of you because that's your award. And uh, it's a pretty outstanding thing. The 2021 NGB media awards. So uh, for Chevron, so uh, we wouldn't be there without our listenership. So I want to thank everybody who has subscribed to this podcast and who listens to it. Uh, I hope we are providing you with some value, and thank you. We appreciate you.
2: That is outstanding.
0: Congratulations
1: Congratulations. on the award,
2: and thank you for having me on the show.
0: No, thank you. Um,
1: Today we are joined by two great guests, uh, Staff Sergeant Julianne Sharon, an intelligence analyst from the 104th Fighter Wing.
0: And a great longtime friend of mine and former First Sergeant, is Chief Master Sergeant Alex Gross. Uh, on the drill status end, he is the SEL for the MSG at the 169th. And on a full time position, he is working as the Total Force Awareness Manager out of the Pentagon. Chief Gross, how are you today?
2: Doing all right, brother. Doing all right.
0: Um, thank you both for joining us. I. I want to start with having you both tell us a little bit about yourself and your military story and what got you to your current positions. And I want to start with you, uh, Staff Sergeant Sharon. Tell us uh, tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Yeah. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, Staff Sergeant Sharon go by MELD. I joined the Massachusetts Air National Guard back in 2016. And right from there, I spent about nine months home, went to tech school, went to BMT before that, obviously, and then eventually... Landed back at Barnes Air National Guard base in May of 2017, or excuse me, 2018. Since then, I've been full-time, so living the glorious full-time intelligence analyst job at a fighter wing is awesome.
0: And I, I have to throw it out here because I had a really, really awesome brief from you not too long ago. And your supervisor told me that you recently graduated from a really outstanding and demanding course. What course would that be?
3: So that would be called the Intelligence Weapons School course. It goes by AIC for the enlisted side, and then throughout the officer side, it's going to be known as WIC. Um, But bottom line here is AIC is going to be a course that helps prepare intelligence analysts to plan any type of mission for anywhere in the world at any time.
0: Now, I see the the, the weapons patches get worn all the time, you know, for various AFSCs. Um, I know just a little bit about it, but how long is the school?
3: The school is five and a half months, but you spend much longer than that spinning up for it. And then also when you graduate, uh, doing what you were sent there to do, which was teach other individuals, other intelligence analysts the processes throughout the intelligence community and how we can be more effective for any type of mission that we need to plan for.
0: Well, wow, and I know that's a pretty high speed course, so congratulations! Thank on Thank you, sir. That. Appreciate that. And Chief Gross, same question to you, sir.
2: So it uh, my started a, a little while ago. So I, I started in uh, 2000, uh, came onto the the Regaf side and the active component, working maintenance on the, on AC 130U model gunships. Loved to t- love the time on there. Cross-trained into contracting in uh, in about 2006. In uh, in 2010, I switched over to the reserves and education and training. And then in 2014, uh, became a force, uh, first sergeant in the in the Air National Guard. And then in uh, 2021, uh, got picked up as the the MSG SEL down at the 169th. And uh, dual heading right now with um, working at the the. Air Force DSI uh, total force integration office. So bounced around a, a little bit and then when I'm not doing uh not doing the the guard thing um I work as a, an Air Force civilian on up at Joint Base Andrews.
0: Now you mentioned the total force awareness um I- I had the opportunity to recently be at a training where you actually briefed us on what the role of the office is and what the goal is. Uh, for our listening audience, would you mind uh, giving us a rundown of specifically what your office does and what the role is and what the, uh, where we are currently in the National Guard as far as total force and where, where, what's the vision? Where do we, where do we want to be?
2: Absolutely, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. And um, so a couple of things we talked about during the, the training is what Air Force DSI is, right? So recently, we used to be part of Half Headquarters Air Force, and, and not too long ago, we dropped the H in Headquarters Air Force all across to to capture all of uh, the entire uh, Air and Space Force. So now everyone in, that used to be Half is now AF. So it's now just uh, Air Force. At, the, at in the Pentagon level, but so we we went from half to to DSI and what we do up there is we work under the Director of Staff in the integration uh, integration piece. So what that entails is our goal um, is essentially getting all three components the active component, the guard component, and the reserve component working better together, and we do that through what's called associations. Associations are just um, the, the formalization of the, the two components working together. So the magcoms comms will, will agree that, okay, yeah, we're going to work together. We're going to share some of the iron. Um, and we're going to share some of the insulation, and we're, we're going to share these things. And then at the, the squadron levels is where that uh, that gets really hammered out in terms of how each uh, each component and each Part of the the support teams are actually going to make that happen. So, um, when the reservists, for example, will have access to uh, regaf iron, or when regaf will have access to um, guard iron, and the intent with all that is, um, nobody's getting more manpower, nobody's getting more resources. Right? We we always got to find ways to do things better, faster, cheaper, smarter. So there's a ton of advantages to. The total force associations, is w- which is what I was just describing, where you essentially increase the utilization and access of, of your aircraft equipment and, and other resources. You increase the rotational capacity of standalone uh, air reserve component units. You leverage and share experience because reg AFC folks versus uh, guard or reserve folks are going to have a ton of different experience. Um, you retain experience in the in the Air Force, that continuum of service. Right. So that's a that's a big item that. Uh, we've got to capitalize more on. So where you've got folks leaving the, the active side or you've got folks leaving the, the Guard or Reserve side, we need to make sure that we keep those bodies in the Air Force, whether no matter which component it's in. Um, because we, we, when we lose that experience, it's not cheap to it's not cheap to replace, um, and most of the folks that that leave are not completely uh, disjointed; that they they don't want to serve. A lot just don't know how to serve, and then we get to leverage and our skills and, and manpower along the uh, along that the manpower continuum throughout both of the um, both of the all three of the components. So there's there's a lot to unpack with what total force integration is as a whole, um, but you can do it at the local level just by building relationships with folks in the other components right especially if you've got a reserve or or guard unit on a regaf base um, there's no reason why those two units can't work together or you know uh, having opportunities to work together for exercise or having opportunities to to work together for surge all that sort of thing without necessarily having a a, you know full-blown association
0: Uh, and that makes a lot of sense to me because I look at what we have in this state and our joint force headquarters is located on the 66th air wing, which is a RegaF base where we have a lot of informal working together, a lot of informal things that we're doing together to bolster and build our relationship. So for states and for people that are in our situation um, that is, the idea that's the ongoing process where it's not formal. You're still you're still trying to uh, really um, push that narrative of that close cooperation and seeking those relationships, uh, even if you don't have formal agreements on a base that is truly joint.
2: Absolutely. I mean that that's where you know I would make the argument that you're better suited to to try it out at the the lower levels than try and force it down. Right. It, the minute you try and force these things, you start to you start to see a lot of pushback. But where you find opportunities for, for example, in the intel community, right? So even even um, with what uh, started sharing with, with what you're doing, there's probably opportunities that you can share. Um, you can get trained by other intel units, or you can train other intel units. Have them come to to you, and you go to them to to work together. Um, especially where you might not necessarily touch every single type of and. Forgive me, because I'm not that smart on intelligence. <laughs> I think that, that goes without saying, right? I'm not that intelligent on intelligence, but um, but there are definitely some opportunities where um, you can probably work with other components and see how they're doing intel, or even other units within within your state. And so the whole purpose is is to get people away from that mentality of no, this is my mission, and, and I'm the only one who can do this mission, and we're we're special, um, to where they they kind of isolate themselves. Uh, and then to the, to the detriment of the mission, the whole, the whole purpose of, of integrating is to continue pushing the mission forward and finding better, faster, cheaper ways of doing things.
0: And I know this initiative is specifically designed around the three components, you know, of air. Um, but, uh, have you in your travels how have you seen this working with other joint components on joint bases such as we have a joint base here on cape cod where we have coast guard and army or just how it's working in the national guard between the air and army components um, are you still tracking best practices on that because again it's it's as a as a total entity as in a total in my opinion a total implement of 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 the military arm that all the branches need to start working more closely and sharing assets. So any best practices or anything you're picking up on, uh, on that from around the spectrum?
2: Well, so we focus primarily on the the three components within the air side. There is a a joint um, integration arm that's actually up at OSD and they're the ones who handle this stuff where getting the, the, you know, or uh, the active component on the Army, the active component on the Marines, and whatnot, working together with the active components on on other the other uh, the other uh, services or the the Guard or Reserve, getting them to work uh, work better together. What I would say is that um, for the the integration within the the um, air side, we're starting to in- see integration with the the space side. We're starting to see um, on the Guard side specifically. Um, there's 17 total force associations um, and associates with 16 others as of December. So we're seeing that uh, more and more, and we're seeing more interest on it. So I recently got back from the wing commanders course uh, and got to talk to a few wing commanders, a few group commanders, and a few SELs. Uh, and a lot of them love the idea of total force integration. This, this has been an initiative since... I want to say 2007 um, and really started getting more steam. uh, I would say around the the 2015 timeframe as um, resources become depleted. So there's, there's a famous quote out there. We're out of money. So we we've got to start thinking. So that's what we're starting to see. We're starting to see where, um, where these opportunities lie. And when resources start coming down uh, the smart money is if, if you found a way to do it better, smarter, cheaper, faster, that's probably where the resources are going to go right i don't i can't imagine uh resources going to folks saying no 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 we're the only ones who can do this and, and no one else can play in our our sandbox when you've got someone else doing it across the country um with with three other units or two other units that have, have figured out figured it out even basic training has associations uh, we've got folks where you've you've got guard reserve and, and regaf all working together in all the staffs across uh, across the pentagon so Um, we're seeing it more and and more.
0: And thank you, Alex. I I know we spent a lot of time on this, but I think uh, it's important for our listeners to understand what it is that your office does and to open up more awareness to it. And I know that you've been working diligently on that at uh, various trainings, and, like you said, the squadron officers courses. But I want to switch gears and go back to uh, Staff Sergeant Sharon. Uh, A day in the life of an Intel analyst Over the last 53 days, how has that affected you? I mean, uh, I'm sure that there's been a... You're working hard and there's a lot that you can't share with us that you're doing (laughs) on the Intel end. But what's a life in the day like for you now?
3: Yeah, so... Uh, Obviously, we're a a 15C squadron, so we are only an air-to-air unit on the western side of Massachusetts. But our pilots, as well as the entire wing, are deeply concerned with what is going on over in UCOM and, moreover, if it would actually affect us going forward in our operations. So a lot of what we do in the intel shop is getting everyone and I mean everyone, I mean the entire wing, spun up on the current events that are happening between Russia and Ukraine and making sure that everyone is aware of uh, what this means in terms of the United States military and the DOD and us who support the overarching I- initiative of being in the military. So, Yeah. Um,
1: I did want to ask you, Sergeant Sharon, um, you mentioned the weapons course. Um,
3: and the point of it is that you learn how to like plan missions? There's a multitude of things that come out of weapons school, and that is a big factor of going to weapons school, is understanding how the entire Air Force actually integrates, not just me looking at an F-15C and an F-15C only, but looking at other mission design series or other types of aircraft, even our ground personnel, thinking about our Army units that are helping to support us in any type of operation that we need to do. So integration is a huge aspect, but a lot of weapons school also fooses, focuses on instructorship and the ability to teach various concepts to other intelligence analysts or even anyone in the military. You could have a commander uh, that's not even an intelligence analyst. He may be coming from maintenance asking about a certain topic. And being a weapons instructor, we're actually supposed to effectively teach the concepts that they're asking so that they have a full understanding of what they're asking. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's big stuff right there.
0: <laughs> yes, I, 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 I love when, you know, I, I see a staff sergeant and you're, uh, you're still in your first enlistment term? Yes, sir. Wow. Mm-hmm. A weapons school graduate, you are handling material and doing briefings at the highest level. You're already thinking about total force integration concepts and you're in your fourth or fifth year in the military, correct? Yes, sir. This is, I, where else on earth can you get this kind of development and in, in, in this kind of, the way we are empowering our airmen at the lowest level, It I, I love it. <laughs> this is just some outstanding stuff.
2: I, I gotta tell you I, I completely agree that's uh that's that's impressive I mean you are you are providing the intelligence for you know our, our flyers to go and execute the the mission and you're taking that uh, synthesizing it and getting it out to folks that are going and, and executing the mission and you're on your first enlistment is is just uh, it that is that is absolutely amazing I'm, I am impressed for to be sure
3: thank you appreciate that
0: and I love stories of you know when 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 Airmen at all levels step out of their comfort zone and do something because you, for the average person to turn around and hey, do you want to go to this grueling five and a half month weapons school? Or you know, even somebody at, at our level, Chief Gross, where hey, do you want to totally leave, you know, the, the 169th Fighter Wing, your home, and go work in the Pentagon and you know, that the. the, the, the big, scary building, the Pentagon, you know, and, oh my God, you know, it just sounds so formidable, but to see our leaders at all levels, both, you know, at the chief level and at the staff sergeant level are going out of their comfort zones to seek further personal and professional development and to try to move the bar even higher. It's, it's just amazing. I mean, it's so different from, from back when I started in the 1690s, um, you know, that, just to see how we are pushing forward as a force and what we're entrusting our people to do now. It's just really incredible. Um, At the weapons course, is it unusual... To have a high enlisted presence and to have somebody at the staff, uh, you know, as as a staff sergeant attending, because usually I would see you know people in the weapons school. I see like a lot of lieutenant colonels and colonels and majors, predominantly officers, you know, wearing the patches mm-hmm. and doing the course. Um, so w- was it unusual for you?
3: There are other supporting entities that also have enlisted courses at the weapons school. As far as AIC. Um, which is going to be specific to the Intel Enlisted Weapons School. There is not that many applicants. And with that, uh, they are trying to bolster the numbers and get the word out even more like this is an opportunity. This is a possibility for enlisted to have the same opportunity as the officers do and going through such course. Typically right now we'll have around four to five enlisted, members go to the course but just the number of applicants is still around like the 10-ish number so not as many as the officer
0: side of the house and so we're sitting here in the 102nd intelligence wing public affairs office <laughs> so i assume that you know a considerable number of our listeners are from the 102nd intelligence wing okay. <laughs> i'm seeing you Kind of, kind of copying a copying a theme here. So, hopefully, we get some more uh, enlisted surge there. Oh,
3: absolutely,
1: yeah. uh, Steph Sergeant Sharon. What were your like uh, impressions going into that course versus leaving it? You know, what would you say to someone else considering it?
3: Um, I think one of the biggest things that I thought of prior to going on the course was actually before I even applied. Um, I had many talks with my Intel Sup and Intel SIO. That's Senior Sutherland and Captain Grimaldi. And I didn't even think I was capable of such course. I was like, guys, I can't do this. Are you kidding me? Like that is a long course. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of that's a lot of responsibility for one to go, and go to the school and then be asked to do such a big workload. So it really made me nervous, and I just didn't think I was capable of. I ended up applying. I was like, I'm gonna do this. It was during COVID year, and I was like. What's the worst I do? They tell me, no, sounds good. Just keep trying. We'll figure it out. I ended up going on the course still obviously very scared. I'm driving cross country being like, I don't want to let anyone down. I don't want to be a failure to anyone. Going through the course, you don't think about that. Of course, it's always going to be in the back of your mind, but your intent or your goal is just whatever is next on the event list that you have to achieve. And then you're just head down, uh, skulls up in regards to just figuring out the next task that you need to do, and then you get through the five and a half months. It doesn't go by in a blink of an eye, but on graduation night, you're like, holy wow, mm-hmm. I cannot believe I did such a thing. So I'd highly recommend anyone who is even remotely interested in it, don't be... Uh, I don't want to say don't be nervous because I was nervous, but don't let failure stop you from applying to this course because it does change you.
0: Now, as far as changes are concerned, from before you came into the military to where you are now, outside of I just I'm talking about like as, as a whole person concept. Mm-hmm. Have you feel? Do you feel that your time that you've spent so far in the Air National Guard has helped develop you? outside of the guard, like as a person, as, uh, you know, uh, I- I- in any way, um, has it helped prepare you f- uh, in life as to be a better anything, everything?
3: That's a great question. Absolutely. A um, biggest thing about being an intelligence analyst is your critical thinking skills and your problem-solving skills. So I would like to think, you know, our Intel shop back home, I'm sure the Intel wing here, whenever we get addressed a problem, we're not looking for like the easy button solution in regards to how to solve the problem. We're thinking of a complex, you know, could be tactical problem that we're now trying to solve. And we're not only just thinking of how to solve it in that moment, but then the secondary and tertiary effects so that we make sure that our decision is going to be sound and whatever that we need to make. And it makes sense for what we are trying to achieve and whatever that may be. So critical thinking and then problem solving is definitely high up there. But personally, for me, it's going to be how to tackle big tactical problems. And that's because a lot of people just look at a problem and like, oh, my God, like, that's a lot of things that we're going to have to work through. Like, I don't know if we can do it, guys. Whereas how I perceive that tactical problem is, all right, looks like we got to take step by step until we eventually – achieve or solve that tactical problem and when you take it in bite-sized chunks it ends up feeding into the holistic picture which means you come out stronger and better on the other end so So that's how I think (laughs) I, I
0: say it all the time and you know in enlisted professional development doesn't just create better airmen it creates better people and Chief Gross, kind of the same question, but you have a lot more time in the military than uh, Staff Sergeant Sharon. So, how has the worth of staying in the military changed for you over the years? And and what what values have you taken out of your time? Your your got to be over twenty years now in the military.
2: That's that's a good question. Uh, before I jump into that, I, I want to touch on something that that Sergeant Sharon said. Uh, it's regarding you know how daunting going to weapons school was and how you kind of just said you know what I'm going to push forward I'm I'm going to do it anyway and see what happens that's huge right it, that that is um, and it goes into the, goes into what you were talking about or the question that you just asked Silly, is you know just showing up and 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 putting your name in the hat and and being required to be told no is a massive um, boon to your career it, it, it can benefit you in so many ways um and if and if your peers were to do the same everybody would be moving moving forward in in such a, a, a not necessarily as quickly but certainly in uh moving forward in their in their careers because so many times i talk to airmen that are not pushing is because they're afraid they're they're their fear whether it's NCOA or ALS or senior NCOA, they don't even want to push forward with that because they're they're afraid. And I think that just that mentality of I'm going to go after it and uh, and see what happens works uh, works wonders. I have a, a buddy of mine who, who would tell me, hey, a uh, mentor of mine when I was a, a, a master and a senior master and would tell me, look, Proceed until apprehended. Just do the. Just do what you need to get done. Proceed until apprehended. Um, and and my current boss says uh, bias towards action, which is a much more polished version of uh, of proceed until apprehended. So uh, basically, what I'm getting at is a long way of saying that bias towards action will only help to benefit you in your career, and and serves as an example to uh, to even you know folks that are that are later in their career, like like myself. So good on you, and that's a that's a the right mentality to. to continue your career um for me in terms of you know what's kept me in is uh impact right being able to continue my impact so i was never um the type to, to say i'm i'm staying until you know they they kick me out dragging and screaming you know i was always a uh, i'll continue going until it's either not fun or i'm not impactful so as long as those two things are are there um then it's 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 time for me to continue on if, if one of those things falls off it's time for me to go to the house and, and let someone else uh, pick up the ball and, and run with it because the last thing I want to do is uh, is slow down the the momentum of, of the force in terms of values that I've learned along the way I mean I mean it's made me a better person in, in a number of different ways it's it's helped me grow and, and understand perspective in, in a lot of different ways so you know any any of my deployments, you go out there, you see, you know, how good we've got it. You know, it, it gives you a, a huge perspective, but it also lets you see in terms of, you know, you go out and you see some of the, the things that are going right. And then you see some of the things that are, that are going wrong. And you're, you're thinking, man, this, this can't be how, how we, we operate. Right. But it, it helps you recognize the fact that there is no, uh, Oz behind the, the curtain running everything, right. There is no, um, grand plan in terms of, oh, there's there's three people running the entire Air Force. That, that's not how it works. It works by each one of us executing our mission and finding ways of doing things better. It works because we all take, when you take ownership of, of your your job, that's what makes the, the Air Force function. That's what makes us uh, the best Air Force in the world is the is the responsibility and sharing your primary example is a responsibility that we place on our NCO Corps. Um, that's what makes us the, the best Air Force in the world. That's how our um, some of our our sister services are our, 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 our state partnerships. That's one of the things they, they love about how the Air Force executes is our, our NCO Corps. Um, and that's some of those are some of the values that I've taken with me in terms of um, just taking ownership and executing where where you can execute and and just having some perspective in terms of what it is that we do on the on the global stage. We don't always do it right, but um, we always we always are working towards that. So. A um, big thing for me is, you know, I don't need it perfect right now, but I do need it better tomorrow. So as long as I can keep getting better and we can keep executing it at a better rate, then we're moving in the right direction.
0: One key thing that you said there that should resonate to all all airmen, and that is to take ownership of, of your job. And one of the saddest things I, I think I see when I walk through uh, not not just the wings in this state, but I I now have the opportunity to visit a great number of wings in a lot of different states, and I always seek out um, you know younger airmen uh, you know the the E five and below tier generally because I want to know how they feel you know they're, they're they're our heartbeat, and it's so sad when I get that hey what do you do, and they start the term with the, I'm just a, what do you do in your military career? Well, I'm just a, you know, you, you pick the job X, Y, or Z. And it, it makes me sad because if you were not part of the greatest air, air force in the world, and I know we are contested now with, with China, but I still consider us the greatest air superiority power in the world. If you were not valuable You would not be here. If we did not need you, we would not be here. We need you, all airmen, to take ownership of their job no matter what it is. And you're not a justa. You are an air warrior. That is what your primary job duty and functionality is. Whether you're an intel analyst or whether you're the SEL um, or you're the state command chief or you're a PA person, we need all of you. So, uh, you know, having two really high value, uh, a senior NCO and an NCO on here, having taken ownership of their careers and their jobs, what they do, uh, it's just great to see. And it should be an example out there. So anybody listening to this, you are not just a, you are essential to the operation of the United States Air Force and the Air National Guard. And we need you. So, you know. Listen to a couple of people that are here doing an outstanding job and you, they can be you. It doesn't matter what your job is. It can be you as well. So, sorry, I had to get on my soapbox uh, <laughs> as the state command chief there for a minute, but that uh, uh, it's something I, I truly believe in. And that's why um, I, I think we are the best because we have so many people try to seek out the best of themselves. Um, you don't end up seeking out the best in yourself without having a couple of mentors along the way. And that's on Sharon, you, you started mentioning some people, but uh, do you have uh, any people along the way that have really helped you on your path to success and motivated you? And do you have anybody that you are now doing the same for and paying it back, paying it forward?
3: Yeah, I do have a lot of people uh, to thank, especially for where I am here today, because without them, there would be no way I'd be sitting right here, right now. And a lot of them has to deal with the Barnes family. Um, I could name a few, but to be honest, sir. The entire Barnes Fighter Wing, we are one big family, and I can go to plentiful of people on that base for different reasons, asking for different types of advice, and they're the ones who absolutely really help me, and then specifically calling out our Intel shop. Um, I always tell everyone that asks me, I am very blessed with my leadership and the shop that I'm in. We work very hard, and we also have a lot of events that bring up morale to bring us closer together, like a a family. So I'm very appreciative of all of them, and they they know that. I say it all the time because I get kind of annoying about that. (laughs) But anyways, um, as far as uh, mentoring people, what we do, especially graduating from weapons school, is we want people to achieve what they think they're unable to achieve, and we do that through various spin up events or even just mentoring on the side for helping them with whatever it may be, whether it's going to be family or if it's going to be work or personal life. Um, so, an example of that, sir, just a little bit more on the weapon school side, is last week I was over in Kansas, Kansas Guard unit. And what I did over there was a weapon school spin up event for the individuals in the Guard that wish to go to weapon school in the future. And what we did there is we took a lot of instruction, uh, we taught a lot of different concepts, and then we also gave a lot of tips and tricks and advice in regards to those who do wish to apply in the future. So definitely a lot of mentoring through that and learning through those types of events, which is why I really enjoy going out there and doing what I can to pay back uh, not just the Rustic, the 19th Weapons squadron community, but also the intelligence community because we need every asset of the intel community. I don't care if you're just a fighter intel, I don't care if you're only a DGS intel, we also eventually work together to get the job done.
0: Absolutely. One team. Chief Gross, same question to you, sir. Uh, key mentors, and uh, I, I I, I, personally, I know you, I know how many people you're mentoring, including this uh, state command chief over in Massachusetts who's always calling you for advices, but uh, what, what were some of your key mentors?
2: <laughs> so uh, I appreciate that. I certainly appreciate the kind words I, th- I think, um, mentorship is, is interesting because we've, we've tried to formalize it. And the reality is that mentorship is, is not a formal function, right? When, when you formalize it, it, it starts to lose some of its, uh, I don't know, some of it, some of its luster, but the, the reality is that, um, I've had a ton of mentors, right? Some have probably run away from me, right? <laughs> you don't realize, you know, <laughs> that, uh, that you're being mentored sometimes and, and you don't realize that, that you're mentoring and, um, uh, you know, what I would say is I've, I've had, of course I've had some, some great mentors along the way. As a matter of fact, um, a good friend of mine, uh, every time I go down to drill, um, I, I give him a shout and say, hey, you know, you, you available for for, uh, for lunch or dinner to just to chat. He's been out for, for a few years now, but I still chat with him to, to, you know, get, you never know when you're gonna get those, those nuggets of knowledge. Another buddy of mine that uh, he's getting ready to retire, um, he was, you know, he's kind of checked me a few times, give me the, the reality checks that I need that, that, uh, that kind of bring you, bring you back to, to where give, give you some perspective. Um, what I would say about in terms of mentoring folks, you know, be honest with people, give them, give them honest feedback, give them the, uh, the things are doing well, the things that they, they need to correct. And just listen. I didn't even realize so I was deployed to, to Niger not too long ago. And then, um, probably four or five months after I got back, I get a phone call from uh from an airman who just made staff sergeant, right? This is an airman who he and I'd had a couple conversations. Um you never know who's you know, whether or not folks are listening to you or, or if you're uh you're just banging on and and and, and going off into cyberspace with, with no one listening to the words you're saying. But this, uh, this, this uh, staff sergeant, I'm sure he's wearing it now, gave me a call to, to thank me of, about uh, some of the discussions that we had. Uh, and those are those moments that, that you're like, wow, I, you have, you, you don't recognize the impact that you have. You don't recognize the, the impact that a single conversation can have. And so what I would say about uh, mentorship is yes, definitely have had some along the way and, and, you know, maybe helped a few folks along the way. Um, but just have those candid conversations with folks, help them figure out, you know, what direction they, they want to go. Um, and then, you know, you can learn from anybody, right? So, you know, just having this conversation, you um, you know, I'm I'm learning about weapons school that I, things that I had no idea about in terms of who and even who can go right. I, I I know we've got some some young intel officer or young intel enlisted that would that would probably love to go to this thing, um, and they may not even know it's a it's available. So when I go back to my wing and I see a a couple of the intel guys, like, hey, did you did you know this was even an option? Mm-hmm. Um, and next thing you know, that that might spark one or two airmen going in the next you know five to ten years, and you have you have no idea that that you you've, uh, opened that door, but at the end of the day, um, you've had that impact. And so what I would, what I would say is just share your experiences and, and recognize that, um, you, you may be able to impact folks in a positive way that, that you, you didn't even realize.
0: I agree. And, I uh, I was having a conversation with somebody just the other day, uh, when they were talking about, well, how don't, you know, why don't you share that with your people? And I don't like to talk about myself. And it's like, you know what? It's not about you. It's about your story. And that's why, you know, I think some people that are a little slow, you know, to try to engage people and get them going, they feel like it's, you know, bravado. It's about me. You know, look at me, look at me. And that's really not the case. I think when you look at leaders across the board, and I'm talking about, you know, leaders. I'm not talking about rank because you can be an airman basic and be a leader. But when you look at leaders across the board, they are conveying a story to instill an emotional response in somebody to reach into self-improvement, and it's not about them. So if you're out there and you're listening and you know people and you want to share with them and help motivate them and get them to the next level, it's not about you. It's about your story, and you never know when that story or that little tidbit of information you have can help somebody get them over to the next level and get them into a weapons school or get them to go really outside the box and, and, and try this really cool assignment in the Pentagon or become a public affairs uh, person and jump in behind a microphone.
2: Yeah, especially mistakes right <laughs> helping people helping people through your mistakes yes. and sharing some of the errors that you've made can, uh, can help them prevent them but it also uh, it also opens you up and, and creates some opportunities for to build a, to build on that relationship.
0: Oh and and people are sometimes unwilling to share, share failure and that is one thing I'm totally opposed to. I will tell anybody openly about my failures because you learn more about yourself when you fail at something and recover and and you know relevel your wings. It's it's why pilots all the time they they always practice all these recoveries from all these catastrophic things that that happen in an aircraft and it's it's how you recover. And so yeah yeah, share the good and the bad, but particularly the bad. It's,
1: it's about being human, too, you Absolutely. know. Absolutely. Um, uh, like Sergeant Sharon was saying, you know, the worst thing that happens is they say, no, you know, you fail. As uh, airman in the rising, the one thing that I want to know from the chiefs that I meet, from the people that made it, is, you know, what's the worst thing that happened to you when you failed? <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah.
0: If, and and I, I, I think that, uh, you know, Chief Gross and I could both say what's the worst thing that happened. We learned from it, recovered, and that took two two steps forward after that.
1: Yeah, so. Definitely. Um, uh, Chief Gross, I did want to ask you, um, you said that um, one of the strengths that the Air Force has is um, our NCO Corps. Um when we're looking at uh, joint force integration, um, component integration within the Air Force, um, what are some of the strengths that each of our components have um, that we're really benefiting from when we, um, when we meet with those, with those other groups? We do some joint activities, those total force associations get together and make things happen. Um, what's, what's the benefit there for each group?
2: So there, there's, there's a couple different questions there, right? So if, if you're talking from the, the, joint perspective and you're, you're talking about the, the different services, um, each service has, has their own culture, um, and, and we can, we can obviously learn from, uh, from, from how the Army, um, and the Marine Corps and, and even the Navy uh, execute their, their particular missions. And they can they can certainly learn how how we execute our missions. We're we're much more of a of a corporate structure. Um, we are much more open to um, dissent in in the proper uh, and um, in in the proper way and, and in the uh, tactful uh, tactful way. Whereas they not 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 as much depending on the, the the career field from the total force perspective within the within the Air Force across the three components. Each component has their own culture, to be sure. So having been part of the the active component, the, the reserve component, and the guard component, I can tell you that each component, each one executes their mission in somewhat different ways, right? They, they each have a, a different perspective. The, the regaf tends to be a, a younger crew, a younger group, right? Um, whereas the reserve and the guard tend to be a little bit more, uh, a little bit, have a little bit more experience, uh, a little bit more age behind them, especially the the guard. I would say is probably without seeing the statistics, I would guess that uh, the average age is would probably be from from low to high, the active, the reserve, and and the guard components. Um, and what I would say is that each component learns quite a bit from each other. So when I was regaf, I tended to think that the reserve component and the guard component. Because they only work 39 days a year, were not good at what they did. What mm-hmm. I failed to understand was that they are probably doing it on the commercial side. And something that Chief Brown brought up during our our total uh, force uh, integration symposium is each reserve and guard airmen are by definition multifaceted because they're coming in, they're doing a job in the, in the guard or reserve, and they're doing a job on the the civilian side. A lot of times it's, it's, they're similar, but I can tell you law enforcement on the military side and, and silly, correct if I'm wrong, law enforcement on the military side is very different than the, than the civilian side. Oh yeah. So you're coming in, (laughs) so you're coming in with two very different experiences in one person. So you're getting two perspectives from one person which is which is huge the the reg app stays very focused on what their mission set is um you know day in and day day out for the garden reserve especially the traditionals when they're doing that job on the civilian side a lot of times they're finding the the best practices the best way of of doing of doing business and for an hvac professional for for example right you've got the um folks that are doing out the air conditioning and and heating, ventilation and air conditioning, you know, for the air force. And you've got on the, on the side, they're doing it for, um, the commercial sector. Well, guess who is doing it probably better, faster, cheaper, and smarter who guess who's get learning the, the best ways of doing business, the, the, the the most current ways of, of executing, you know, HVAC repair. That's those are the folks that are doing on the civilian side. They come in, they bring it into the, to the, um, for their, their drill. they, they're working with a a regaf association they're able to bring that experience and show hey this is a a better way of of doing business so that's where we get some huge advantage um, culturally so when when units integrate from a total force perspective nobody's asking for them to lose their culture because their culture is what makes them different and better and it creates that organizational um, and cognitive diversity that helps just the, the thrive, the, the, the military thrive, the air force, it helps the air force thrive um, as as it progresses forward, because we are at the lowest manpower we've ever been. And we're not going to see that go up anytime in the, in the near future. So um, how are we going to be able to continue to, to execute this, the mission and execute the, the, the air force mission, that the national defense strategy at the, the highest levels, with lower and lower manpower we have to we we integrate right we we diversify our our thought we diversify our um means of doing things and that helps us find the the best and um the best and and most effective ways of executing the mission
0: awesome thank you chief i'm just gonna have one one final question and uh that that's just what are your Final thoughts. Each person here, we've been asking all the questions. I mean, what would you like to add, uh, Sergeant Shannon, to anything that that we've covered today? Would you like to add anything? Anything else you'd like to tell us?
3: Um, I would like to share my favorite quote or concept, if you will. Uh, Something that I think about a lot, and I think... I can apply it to almost anything I do in life, whether it's military, civilian, physical fitness, anything that it may be. And that quote is playing to win versus playing to not lose. Um, I love that quote because on the playing to win side, what you're doing is you have to be aggressive. You have to be proactive. You know, think two, three steps ahead of whatever you're trying to do. Um, You're doing whatever it takes to achieve your ultimate end goal. Versus playing to not lose is a concept that's essentially saying you're going to do the bare minimum to pass whatever task that it may be. You're going to be reactive. Uh, you're not going to have a great attitude in regards to whatever you're trying to achieve. And when you really start reading into that concept online, which I've done a lot of research on, it uh, really just goes to show the type of human that you want to be, not just in the military, but in life itself. Um, You want to be the people that people go. You want to be the person that people go to in terms of advice, saying, "Hey, how do I solve this problem? Hey, what do I do with this assignment?" You want them to come to you for anything. You don't want them to be intimidated by you, and you want to make sure that uh, you have good approachability and humility skills because those are really important factors um, in any type of scenario that may come across wherever you are in life.
0: Wow, Uh, we can almost mic drop there. That was was outstanding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I like that and, and, and it's so apropos because I don't know how many times we've watched a sports team and you see it all the time they have momentum they have drive they're being successful and then they start playing to not lose and what inevitably happens they end up you know whittling away at their advantage when so it, to take that and applying it to, to self and to you know the whole person concept etc that was that was pretty outstanding uh Chief Gross, you got to follow that up. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's that's a, a tough discussion point to follow, to be sure. I mean, uh, I, I completely agree with with that sentiment. Um, first, I, I just like to say, hey, thank you very much for 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 having me on. Um, a great opportunity to to discuss some of these these topics. What I would say, um, final thought would be, um, you know, on the line of quotes, is luck is what happens when opportunity meets preparation. So, where that comes in is get to where you continue prepping your yourself as you move forward whether it's your career whether it's for your your job whatever it's for um just being prepared so that when the next opportunity comes you're able to, to to jump on it the other thing i would mention is when general brown speaks he he tends to to talk about one particular moment where he was um he was you know out in doing doing his thing internationally and uh he realized that you know some of the discussion points um that he was really in the know about were more localized so he likes to say uh less sports illustrated and more economist and so what i would tell how i would apply that to to the enlisted force to be sure is be smart on current events be smart on world events uh, be smart on what's going on locally but um Understand what's going on uh, internationally so that you have a, a better perspective of, of what's going on. And not only does it help shape your your frame of mind, it also shapes how you approach uh, things in general, it, it whether it be in your 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 home life or whether it be in, in your, your work life. But it helps uh, really give perspective and. Uh, And that's something that we all just need to keep, especially as we see what's going on in in the world.
1: Definitely. Um, Thank you both for your time here. Um, We appreciate all of it. I am thoroughly impressed, uh, Staff Sergeant Sharon, with you as a human being um, and definitely that I strive to be more like, I think. Um, And then uh, Chief, definitely thank you for all your experience and wisdom here today. Um I would like to put out there, um we are co-located um with the Space Force here on Cape Cod. Um and one of the sergeants, Sergeant Floyd, is organizing um uh an esports tournament um for all military um active uh reserve, guard, space force army. Um everybody's invited. Um and you can get information for that with your first sergeants or um, probably the 102nd Intelligence Wing's social media.
0: And Sergeant Floyd was a guest here on Chevron several episodes back and uh, another outstanding leader that we have uh, in our armed forces. And uh, in close, I just wanted to again thank both of you uh, for being here. Uh, it, it, the, the, the coolest thing about the Chevron's podcast is that when we reach out and we just, you know, we grab a senior enlisted person and then we grab an E five or below and we bring them on here and we get their perspective and it is just, there, there is no other than, than then, you know, the gap in, in where you are in your career and your level of responsibility. There is no gap that I see whatsoever in the, in the, in the, in the, the, the knowledge and the skills and the ability and the competencies as airmen of the people we bring on here. Now, there's, there's differences in roles and responsibilities and there's your different paths of your career, but it's just so outstanding to have a, a, a staff sergeant of your caliber and a chief of Chief Gross's caliber on here. And then when you think back and you look at it, it's like you guys are unique, but at the same time, you're you're not unique you're representative of the culture you are unique as individuals but you are representing how good our non-commissioned officer corps is in the united states air force and i just really appreciate the time that you both spent with us learned a lot from both of you i feel like i've got two new mentors Uh, I am just so excited about being back up in Barnes next RSD because I get to come in, uh, pop in and hang out with you again (laughs) and uh, see some more barnstormers. And Chief Gross, I know that our paths are going to cross many, many more times over the years. And uh, every time I spend a moment with you, I walk away richer. So thank you, sir.
2: I appreciate you. Thanks so much.
1: All right. Thank you, listeners. Uh, Catch us back here next time. Thank you.